Welcome back into the Esports Network podcast, where we talk about everything and anything esports related. It can be the latest skins in a Fortnite game. Probably not, but you never know. Let's talk about business, though. And here to help me talk about business is the CEO of Amuka Esports. Welcome in, Ben Pfefferman. Ben, how you doing? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Ben, of course, is, uh, like I said, CEO of Amuka Esports out of Toronto, Canada, where he secured $1.1 million dues in seed funding, as well as a bevy of, of sponsorship cash, 300000 is the number I read. Also, team owner of Parabellum Esports, currently in the Six Invitational. Look for them next week. But how, how does that even happen, right? So yeah, really quick, Parabellum Esports, make it into the, the Rainbow Six uh, Invitational. And I mean, you guys have had a roster change or two. How, what was your reaction to hearing that? Oh, this team made the 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 six invitational, like the, the 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 world, not the World Cup, but like their championship version. Yeah, it's a really interesting story how how it all came together. You know, we were really we really wanted to get into the R six scene, and uh, this is at the time last year. There's a, a group called Altiora, and. Um, in the last chance qualifier, they pull it out. They qualify for SI. We were in touch with their org. Um, we really wanted that roster. Uh, didn't work out. That org ended up dropping out of Siege altogether. And uh, we said, well, this is like perfect timing. So we ended up picking up the entire roster. Now, unfortunately, because the way it happened with Rainbow Six is the North America, the Canadian Pro League folded into the what is now the North American Pro League, um, which we would have been able to, had we had more time, sort of have a Pro League spot in Vegas this year. Uh, but it all happened very quickly, which is a real challenge. So long story short is now we got this amazing roster that's going to be going to to Paris tomorrow uh, for the um, Six Invitational. But th- and then they'll finish the season out in the Challengers League. Awesome. So hopefully good things for them coming out of the, out of Paris. So we'll... We'll keep our, our eyes peeled for that one, and I'll be sure I'll be watching that, you know, in the background somewhere as I'm hustling through these interviews. But <laughs> for the most part, let's talk about Amuka Esports, right? So you're a young 20-something, 30-something, right? By, by the time you get the thought in your head of Amuka starting up, what was your experience in gaming and esports before Amuka? Yeah, it really came. I came to the industry really as an investor first. Um, having invested back in 2015 uh, with Enthusiast Gaming and a few others along the way. And really seeing, you know, from the investor or investment banking perspective, that a lot of the companies that were looking to raise capital around that time, like kind of 2018, 2019, were just in one vertical. And it didn't really make any sense that one company just has a venue and one company is just a team and one company is just a TO. Um, and said, you know, what I really think needs to happen is all these verticals need to be connected at a local level. That's kind of the concept of the MOOC Esports is to create a whole esports hub where every sort of touch point of that ecosystem is run by one company um, with different brands. And, you know, through that, we can create and give the best gaming experience to our community. And so you're coming from the investment side of, of esports release. You're, you're, you're basically the business side of things. The initial kickoff for Amuka, what was that like? How how difficult was that to to kick it off? And how hectic were those early days of Amuka? 
Yeah, like really the whole thing kind of started as an accident. Um, we were raising money for an esports company and it was a cool idea, but the CEO sucked and was like on drugs and disheveled and and we just kept joking like it's just so hard to raise if only ben if you were ceo this would be so much easier and then kind of just we stopped making the joke and just said you know let's really make it a reality um man we didn't really know what we were doing in the beginning um a lot of mistakes even the whole model we were just going to invest in companies and then try to take this whole gaming portfolio public we abandoned that after probably three months and said we really want to be an operating company and try to have those pieces um so yeah we we acquired some great companies but our timing sucked we we bought our first venue in february of 2019 Mm -hmm. 2020 sorry and our second in march so like you can't get worse cards than that uh but you know, it's all learning experience, and I think now we've got a much better idea of um, where we where we want to go and how we're going to scale. So you mentioned you bought those those venues early 2020. Of course, the pandemic hitting in in March for for most of North America. Um, what was that like for the most part? Talk to me about dealing with an uh, you know an upstart business in the early days of the pandemic and up until now. Yeah, there were a lot of days where I thought it's all over. There's just, there's just no way. Um, we just picked the wrong vertical. Like we picked venues at just the wrong place, the wrong time. Um, we had to move online in the beginning. We didn't know how the hell to do that. Uh, the, the, you know, we're a premium gaming experience. So when you, if you're in Toronto and you come to our venue waves gaming, you know, there's a stage, there's production. We give you this first rate pro experience. As soon as you're online, and, and I don't have any competitors in Toronto, especially now. They all went out of business in COVID, so I really have no competitors. But, you know, as soon as we do an online tournament, A, the gaming experience is nothing like it is, you know, to compete on LAN. That's for sure. And I'm competing with, like, hundreds, maybe thousands of other tournament organizers. And, you know, if the objective is to build – so here's an example. Mm-hmm. So let's say we want to do a free roll um, Warzone tournament. We put 500 bucks on – you know, we, we want to try to help build a community. There's no community building because, like, the guys will just come in, the best players, they'll just win the money, and they're out. And so we made that, those mistakes of doing those tournaments where, like, free roll, and, like, it's not community building. And so then from there, we had to go back again and say, okay, how are we going to build build a community online and sort of redo it again from the ground up? Wow. So a lot of heart blood sweat and tears went into building this up during you know the midst of a pandemic and i applaud you for it you know like you said a lot of your competitors went out of business you are still here uh in 2021 you're still kicking you got big plans in the works and hopefully things will continue going your way so i just first of all applause for that just takes a lot of thank you do you have some sound effects i was on a podcast last week and the guy had sound effects it was amazing we're still working on our production values on this end of things and i'm currently (laughs) the only one in charge of production so we will we will try and get some sound effects in here but for the most part man a lot of chutzpah to keep going and i you know just in a kind of volatile industry that we're in right now that's kind of what it takes to kind of keep going wouldn't you agree yeah and it, it, what kind of makes me feel a little bit better is no one knows how to how the hell to make money in esports. It's not just me. It's everyone's facing those challenges. Um, honestly, the best thing is I just stopped caring about what other people thought of me and the company. And as soon as I made that like 
that mental decision to like just get rid of all the noise and all the everything else. It was just like I just felt happier. Uh, we were more productive, and that's just the mo right now. Is like we do what we want. We just don't give a shit what other people are doing. Nice. And so, um, for the most part, you have secured some pretty big sponsorship deals. Just listing off a few Corsair, PlantX, CoinSmart, Guru Organic Energy. You guys have made some big moves in the sponsorship realm, and really, these have been in the last few months or so. How much work went into securing those deals? Yeah, so step one is you got to build good esports assets. So that was kind of the first part of this phase is let's build up the tournament infrastructure. Let's build up the teams. Let's build up our media. And when I started, I was selling Fortnite tournaments. And like no brand is or Valor, whatever, it doesn't matter. Just They just weren't biting because... Why would they? And I had to go back to the drawing board and say, what do brands want? And then I think from there, it's kind of creating what we call a multi-channel partnership, which is, I don't know which is the best way to promote your product or brand, but I'm going to do it with media. I'm going to do it with teams. I'm going to do it in our venues when they're open. I'm going to do it you know, with live events, online events. Um, and I think that's that's what it comes down to. And uh, you know, having spent so many calls with sponsors, understanding what they want. I have a much better idea on how to create value for them. And that's, that's where I think people just uh, fail is they're not creating enough value for their sponsors. I mean, for sure. The, I mean, the main thing to attract sponsors is you need to have some, some, some initial value that they want at, in the first place. And I'm sure that's a hard lesson. A lot of esports organizations have had to learn over the past few years, but you clearly have some of these guys value. And so what do you think is, is the biggest value that Amuka provides uh, for brands? Yeah. Well, you know, for anyone who wants that, you know, gamer demographic, call it, you know, maybe 14 to 35, 15 to 35. Um, it's hard to get. Um, I think that generation, whatever you want to call millennial Gen Z doesn't watch as much TV, doesn't go to the movies, doesn't listen to as much music and they're gaming. So how do you get there? And I think that's, that's our strategy is, is to really is what's that whole, what's that entire pie of a gamer? Well, they're going to be following their favorite teams. They're going to be watching their favorite content creators and shows. They're going to be playing and competing in tournaments. Um, they're going to be buying merchandise and when you can offer a sponsor sort of that entire pie, a little bit of everything, it gets them excited. And the other thing is you got to, it's for sure. I always push, like, I'm not about just putting a logo on anything. You got to drive, you know, real ROI, but there's, there is something to say about sort of that brand authenticity is making that brand cool in esports, And that's really the first stage is if you just come out of nowhere and, you know, no one's ever heard of this brand and now they're like sponsoring this and trying to get people to do that and sell you this. Yeah, the gamer gamer generation is just going to reject it. It's just not a cool. Um, but after seeing, you know, your logo on a race car and on some jerseys, they're like, oh, okay, now we associate that brand with gaming um, and they're just far more receptive to whatever the product or service is that's being offered. I mean, that's that's my first thought, right? If I have my name on a jersey... I, I immediately see the, the dollar signs and I go nuts for it, right? I, I, I want that jersey. I want my name on that jersey. And so it's kind of like talking to a you know one person uh, as a corporation instead of you know a whole corporation full of you know 
a couple hundred people or so. But I'm, I'm curious because you're up in Canada. I know you're you're planning some moves around here and there. But here in the U.S., I'm not sure there's a big difference when 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 startups are talked about. But based on your experience, based on you talking with other people in the investment community and other people starting up their own companies across North America. Is there, would you say, a major difference between a Canadian esports startup versus a U.S. based one? Good question. Not really, but the the growth strategy is different. So, for example, in the U.S., you guys have tons of, of venture capital firms, mm-hmm. you know, VCs um, that are really funding the vast majority of these esports companies. In Canada, you really have a strong VC community. So what happens is a lot of companies that are even early stage go public. Right. So we have so many esports and gaming companies that are publicly traded on our stock exchanges and many American ones are coming over as well uh, because that's really the path to raise capital and to grow. So that's a, a major difference between an esports company that will just do a series A, B, the letters just keep going. It doesn't matter. Um, but here, like pre-revenue companies are going public all the time. Wow. So uh, in terms of, you know, uh, laws, finances, general culture, there's really no big difference between a U.S. startup and a, and a, a Canadian one, right? Um, not, I mean, the entrepreneurs, I don't think there's a huge difference. I think it's more, you know, it's more the culture around startups. The, the startup culture is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um uh, you know, there, there's a concept of fast fail. I, I think, you know, if, if you're not making it for a VC, they kind of drop you a lot faster versus there's a little bit more patience here in Canada with investors. Um, but there's also just tons of M&A. So, like, if you've hung around for a couple of years, like, you're getting acquired um, and and you're going to find a home somewhere. Whereas I think in the U.S., a lot of, a lot of esports startups just go nowhere and fail. And that's... That's a sad state of affairs here in the U.S. It's kind of just like a, a, a sink or swim situation for a lot of startups. That's kind of the, the nature of the beast, if you will. But for the most part, you seem like you have a, a good head on your, shol- on your uh, uh, shoulders and you've you know dealt with uh, you know, the, the hell and back kind of scenario for, for your company. And you know, the light is at the end of the tunnel for you, I believe. But where do you think Amuka is headed today? You know, what future plans do you guys have? If you can tell us at all, if you don't, don't worry about it. Uh, in terms of events, what are you guys planning? Venues, what's coming up? Sure, our our venue strategy is totally different. Like we're not going to build any more venues. The way we want to grow is really through retail partnerships. And you know, I've made I have my own show, Esports Unfiltered. I guess I'll just plug that right now. Go for it. But um, I talk about this like to me, it's insane that there are no there are no esports venues in Best Buys. Isn't that crazy? No, you're right. Like, you know, like I would be literally bringing customers into their stores to play the games that they're going to buy in their stores for some reason, because stores still sell games, <laughs> which is also kind of crazy to me. But anyway, but that's like, that's what's so crazy. So I think the next stage is, yeah, we're going to move to retailers. Esports Arena has done it a little bit with Walmart in the US. Mm-hmm. Nerd Street has started partnerships with Five Below. So it's not like I'm reinventing the wheel, but like there are so many massive Canadian retailers, big box retailers that are struggling, have their stores are too big. And so I'm hoping to save retail with esports. 
So right. that's on the, that side, but really here it's our media division and teams. Um, we want to, we want to launch a couple really awesome TV shows um, that were, that are already in development right now. And um, we made a big investment with our R6 team. So we want to really support them for the rest of the season. And then um, definitely getting back into rocket league is a huge priority and um, you know, hopefully getting into a few other games. So you mentioned TV shows for a second. And so I'm just thinking, you know, what can uh, a big kind of gaming company, what kind of TV shows can they put out? Is it, you know, is there anything, anything you can talk about on that end of things? Like what kind of production are we expecting or should we expect? Well, you know, right. You know, we're going to see, there's a movie coming out um, from Lionsgate Studios and BuzzFeed Studios' first feature film called One Up. Oh, wow. Uh, the story of a, of a women's esports team that kind of, uh, you know, defies the odds. I don't. I haven't seen the script. I don't know. But like, <laughs> defies the odds and you know competes against the men's team. And I don't know in the end if they win or lose. The but they they film part of that that movie here at, at our esports arena. Oh wow! So I think you know when that sort of Hollywood content, that esports content goes Hollywood, uh, there's going to be a huge floodgate. Netflix is opened up their first office outside of the U S is, is in Toronto. They made the announcement. Netflix has like very little esports content, like aside for seven days out and the league of legends. What, what was that called? League of legends documentary. There's like only a handful of gaming docs um, and they're all docs. So right. what we want to do is, is to create some more like episodic content uh, for prime video and for, and for Netflix. Um, one of the shows I could talk about is called OP kitchen where, um, yeah, you, you got to come in and create an OP meal for your group of friends, you know, uh, within a very short period of time with a lot of challenges and um, obstacles along the way. So that's going to be a cool show. And then my show as well, Esports Unfiltered, where a loudmouth esports exec uh, gives the sort of talk about some of the current issues and scandals in the esports industry. And boy, are there a lot of them. <laughs> uh, and you know, it's funny because like one of the one of my favorite. So that's my tagline for the show. Right. Where every week we look at the news stories and scandals in the esports industry. And I was that scandal last week <laughs> on the score. The score did a big expose about you know a couple of our players and what happened to them. Yep. Um, and it was just kind of funny to be on the on that side of the scandal where you know we had to deal with um, a couple issues with our players, Aaron Coach. And um, so, I guess karma's a bitch. Is that, is that the moral story? <laughs> for sure, for sure. I mean, it's just it happens. You know, some days, uh, you know, you're the handle. That you're the fox. It happens, right? Yeah, every team has had to put out statements about players, right? It doesn't, you know, at first I was very embarrassed. What about my sponsors? They're all going to see this. But like, you know what? It's not the scandal. It's how you respond to the scandal. Exactly. And I think that's what they're going to look at. I mean. From what I, I mean, I barely heard anything coming out of that score feature that they did on you guys. So I think, I think it's a little overblown. But you know, a lot of esports scandal. I mean, what esports scandal isn't overblown nowadays? You know. Yeah, and I think in the case of you know Louise, you know, like mm -hmm. he's he's dubbed a cheater, and just an interesting conversation, just an interesting thought to think about. You know, in traditional sports, if you break the rules, you get a penalty. Like, you know, if you trip someone or you use an illegal stick, if you use any illegal equipment, you get a penalty. Yep. Um, but in esports, we use the word cheater. 
and it's, uh, I'm just curious what you think. I want to be the interviewer now. Oh, go for um, it. Are, are sometimes when, pe- when people are labeled cheaters, um, is it really more of a penalty? And, and is that term maybe overused or misused? So you're talking to somebody who covered the Houston Astros cheating of oh, a scandal. Okay. So you know firsthand. I yeah. know I know firsthand about all this, right? So in case people don't know, Houston Astros to use cameras, steal hand signals to see the next to pretty much know what the next pitch was when it was coming. For the most part, though, that that kind of cheating is relatively unseen in esports, right? A lot of times in esports, it's you know it's a, it's a stick that isn't allowed or it's something like that, or at most it's it's some kind of match fixing. But there's really very rarely ever exploits that we can definitively say are cheating. And so from my perspective, I don't think, you know, Luis really had a big issue. I don't think cheating would be the right term. Maybe he skirted the rules a little bit, but outright cheating, eh, I think it's a little overused. And I think esports as a whole is very, the fans at least are very reactive to things like that on social media. So, you know, they kind of just take one thing and they, they mean the crap out of it and it just goes overblown. And it's uh, it wasn't a competitive match. This is right. Yeah, this is, and I think it's the same with with Phase Jarvis, right? When yeah. you use like the bots and things like that, just on a regular stream, are they cheaters? Like, if you're not in a competition, if you're not competing, it, could you really use the word cheater? I don't know. I'm not. I'm like feel like it's gonna be people are gonna yell at me and all the backlash for saying that, but I find it hard to accept the word cheating when you're not competing. I would agree. You know, maybe, maybe if it's like in a rank, you can probably in a rank game or something, you could really justify that. But for the most part, if it's, if it's not competitive, it's not professional and there's no money on the line. I'm, I'm, I'm really half hearted, hearted to saying cheer period, you know? So I, I disagree with that, that notion completely. Yeah. So that's, that's the difference. Um, so yeah, that, I think the, Point where where we're going with that? Yeah, is uh, the score did a video on Parabellum, and then I I emailed the guy after I Devin. I said, in all honesty, it was a great video. It was f- very balanced, except for the headline. The headline was uh, "Coach caught in sexual harassment, a player cheating, and org imploding." And I'm like, who said anything about our organization imploding? That's I mean, it takes um, a lot. For an organization to implode, you know, I mean, yeah. that's, it's, it's it's definitely very, it's very clickbaity for sure. I'm going to say that because I think uh, the score is guilty of it. I'm probably guilty of it a little bit, but to say outright an organization is imploding, uh, yeah, he, and he, they, it's not like they, I, I never, they never contacted me for a comment on how the org is doing, and so, and he admitted that it, he did also think it was kind of a overreaction or hyperbolic title. No, I mean, that's yeah. it's just the, the nature of, you know, media nowadays. Everything kind of has to be out there in your face. Otherwise, you're not going to get clicks. But you know what? We're not going to do that here. Not doing that today. So, uh, Ben, I want to say thank you for coming on, you know, shooting the crap with me, talking about Amuka Esports, the future you guys are, are, are going towards, uh, you know, Parabellum Esports. They're they're currently, you know, still still waiting to, to take on that plane uh, to, to Paris for the six invitational. So good luck there. For people who don't know, where can they follow? Where can they, they hear more from you? Where are the socials here that we have to be aware of? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at 5KFEF and also on LinkedIn, Ben Pfefferman. Uh, those are the two best places to find me. Of course, uh, at Amuka Esports, uh, Esports Unfiltered. Where can people hear that podcast? 
Esports Unfiltered is on YouTube. The channel is called Made in Esports. Awesome. So we'll tweet that out and make sure everybody's aware of it. And uh, I just people overreact to cheating all the time. It's I don't don't take it too harsh. It's just people are just ridiculous. I'm gonna be honest with you. Sorry, that's still weighing on my mind now. And it's like I'll call the Houston Astros cheaters all day, every day. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, because it's it's the World Series, you exactly. know, like it's competitive play. Um, but yeah, it's just something to think about the way we kind of look at esports athletes um, and use that word cheating um, versus in traditional sports, where a lot of the times, look, if you use an illegal stick, you're not even considered a cheater in hockey. No. Right, it's like a, uh, a penalty, maybe or a, a yeah. ejection, something like that. At yeah, worst. maybe you get fined, you get a small fine, but like nothing happens, and no one would ever call you a cheater for illegal equipment. No, but if that happened in, in gaming, hundred percent, you'd be a cheater. You'd be banned, maybe perma banned. <laughs> Just absolutely ridiculous. Sorry, I got off back on that tangent. I got to get off the tangent. But Ben, I want to thank you for coming on again, talking uh, Muka Esports with us, and and really, just thank you for your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. So he's Ben Pfefferman, CEO of Amuka Esports. I'm Kevin Correa, and this is the Esports Network Podcast.